Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of Code Enterprise, which was held November 14th and 15th in San Francisco. If you like this interview, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. First of all, Ryan has designed, is designing, or part of the team that's designing the Amazon, um, what do we call it? The biosphere? The spaceship? Spheres. The balls? Spheres. People have been calling them the spheres. The spheres, okay. Spheres. <laughs> the spheres, which are, which well, you're going to talk about in a second, and obviously Eve has been part of designing all kinds of things, including new living spaces, new workspaces. Um, let's start with you, Ryan. Talk about what's happening at Amazon, what you're doing. Because you just did the Samsung. You're working on a Tencent, right. Google, a Google right. facility. We, we, uh, for those of you not familiar with the work we've been doing, uh, Samsung just opened up uh, a few months ago down on North First Street in San Jose. It's the, the big white cube that has a completely open uh, center to it. We've been fortunate to work uh, in China with Tencent uh, and Alibaba and Alipay. We're doing work with Google as well, and each one brings this sort of unique personality and characteristic to, to, uh, to who they are. With Amazon, what's really interesting about Amazon, two things, I think. One is this idea of what it means to be urban tech, of making a commitment to be integrated into an urban environment. And so they're starting their third tower now. There are two that are built. Um, part of being in that environment, part of being, uh, in essence, part of the community is opening up the entire ground floor. So mm -hmm. there's no presence of security uh, as you're on the ground floor. And the idea there is to really make it welcoming. welcoming. Security sits on the second floor, um, and it's just not part of your experience. Welcoming, but not too welcoming. Welcoming, yes, with a sense that um, uh, the idea is to have people flowing in and people flowing out, not having a barrier right at the, at the door when you walk in. And explain the biospheres, the spheres. So the spheres, um, it's interesting. It's a, it's a different type of workplace. So if you think of working in the city, it tends to be this box, this handsome box that gets extruded up and everybody disappears into an elevator and goes off to their floor and never to be seen again. Um, the spheres are down on the ground floor. Um, they are two, three, four-story objects. Uh, and what they are is basically a conservatory uh, of mature plants. We're growing the plants right now. We'll bring them into the space. And the idea is to really give a work environment in a city that is predicated on the benefits of being around plants, the biophilic nature. And whose idea was this? It was the team's idea, really. Uh, Jeff Bezos didn't say, I want plants and dinosaurs, and please bring them to me. <laughs> I could hear him saying that. Uh, no, I, I think what, when we do our best, it's when we can pull ideas from anywhere they come, uh, anyone on the team, whether that be the client team, our team. And so that's, that's been... Uh, the reason I'm asking is, like, you didn't offer plants to Google or the biosphere to Google. Why, why Amazon in terms of, did they want something like this where they had a workplace that was more jungly or what? No, I think it was just understanding what uh, the natural environment means to, I hesitate to say productivity, but to human experience right. uh, and what type of an environment they could create um, for their employees as well as for the city. All right, so go ahead. Sorry, you both, you both sort of operate companies on the premise that design actually can enhance, I'm going to use the word productivity, um, and you do this using sort of a data-backed approach, but do you have actual numbers that show that me working in a sphere is, will make me more productive than me working in a box? Well, I, I, I do have numbers about, um, for example, what kind of meetings you have on a, on a daily basis. So 70% of our meetings are done at, um, at the desk. But a desk has never been designed for meetings. So, for example, for Herman Miller, for whom we design um, office furniture systems, for example, you know, we design a desk that turns into a meeting spot. 
Um, so you can you can collect this kind of data by observing, you know, with cameras, with researchers, etc. And then you can design based on some of the things you've discovered. Um, and then you do the same thing post um, the design work, and you see that people are having more meeting, they're having more collaboration, they're having more casual and you know encounters and that is actually uh, very positive um, from a productivity standpoint so you just designed explain your new thing in San Francisco you're starting to do a, a version of we work I'm, I'm I don't right. want to yeah so so it's like McDonald's compared to what you're doing but what so, so so what we're trying to do is um, what, what I what we noticed uh, with my partners and I is the fact that neighborhoods are devoid of workplaces. You know, work today happens in downtown areas or in business parks um, in suburbia. And um, they tend to be, you know, large, large, you know, buildings and uh, parking lots, basically, that people have to, um, have to go through. Um, but neighborhoods um, are actually have a, have a really deep uh, need and reason to have smaller workspaces. And so um, what, we, what we conceived is uh, co-working spaces that are boutique size, smaller sizes, three to 10,000 square feet, and that people can access to you know, maybe walking, uh, uh, you know, walkable uh, areas uh, in neighborhoods. So the first ones we, we open is on Fillmore Street in Pack Heights. Uh, but the, when you look at it, there are hundreds of neighborhoods like that. Um, you know, Coal Valley in San Francisco, there is, we've identified 15 of those, where essentially if you want a two, three, four person office, if you're working independently as a freelancer, if you, you know, want an environment where you can meet other people and share with other people, those simply don't exist. Coffee shops. It's called coffee shops. They're coffee shops, and coffee shops are full of people that get kicked out of them at certain times of the day because, um, because you know, they don't want people to be just on their laptops at, um, you know, at, So this at, is at to lunchtime. create them in neighborhoods, co-working spaces, rather than these large facilities or downtown. And so exactly. On. And it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, in San Francisco, to drive from, you know, Coal Valley or, you know, some of these neighborhoods to downtown, park your car, go to your office, it takes half an hour. Um, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, there's, you know, we're, we're, we're in a traffic um, situation right now all across the Bay Area, but it's the same in Seattle, it's the same in LA, it's the same in New York, uh, it's the same everywhere. So, um, I'll, go ahead, Joanne. Yeah, I mean, how important is, is um, making sure that people from all backgrounds, all financial backgrounds, have access to that space? Because you're participating in a local community. I mean, how much does it cost for me to work at Canopy? So what it's we canopy his, his yeah so canopy. so this uh, this first um, prototype of uh, this co-working space um, is specifically in um, you know in in a neighborhood where it was an unused space second floor space um, uh, above a Pete's Coffee actually um, that had been vacant for thirty years um, and the neighborhood businesses sort of benefit tremendously from having people work in this neighborhood rather than those neighborhoods being rather empty, um, uh, um, you know, during, during the day. But, um, you know, currently it is in a, in, a, in, a, in a nice, expensive neighborhood, so I wouldn't call it um, affordable to everyone as a as a. As is a the concept, product. I mean, I, I, I joke, you know what I call Pacific Heights, don't you? What? Yeah, I call it Specific Whites. Yes, I know um, a few people who but, call it that. Um, but, <laughs> and they're very specific. Um, 
but, but the idea is you could do this in poor areas and lots of places where people could have access to work because there's lots of different levels of workers. Absolutely. And, and you know, the realization is that um, neighborhoods which, which have, um, you know, they're, they're essentially where people live and sleep are not the places where they work. So what I call work nirvana is the ability to be able to walk to work. I think we all you know, dream of that as a possibility. And um, I, it can be certainly replicated in any kind of neighborhood. So Brian, you do still, though we still do live in these big work environments, the big yeah. Google campus, the big Facebook campus, that strange thing they've got going down there at Facebook, the, the weird, whatever that is. Um, they, how, when is that going away? Because that's your business. Like, right. so, and what, are they, what, are they, what should they be looking like going forward? What should, obviously, the, you, you were designing something where you said those ceilings were too short and they were, right. talk about the psychological effect. Like, what is the new workplace supposed to look like given we'll probably still stay in the structure we're in for a little while longer? You know, work, work obviously happens everywhere now. And I think there'll be a tremendous focus on personalization. I think we've lost a sense of, of comfort and choice in, in, in our environments. That's why you see people going to smaller coffee shops to work. Um, interestingly, stress is the lack of control, uh, mm -hmm. if it's at its simplest definition. And we want to keep stress in those work environments down. So a few things we're seeing. Uh, one is I think sensors are going to take a much larger role in, in the future of the workplace. If you don't know the Edge building in Amsterdam, uh, it's a great example of sort of a sensor-driven technology that connects you to your phone and lets you know where the best working environment is for you. We, we did the same thing in our New York office. Uh, the Edge building. Edge building. What do the sensors do? So the sensors will do everything from um, kind of tell you where quiet spaces are, where the best daylight is. Um, and like I said, we're doing this in our New York office building too. We don't have quite have the budget. We hacked into some Arduino boards and 3D printed some sensors and put them up. But you can walk around with an app and say, you know, I really need a place that's vibrant, that's energized. Where is that? Or I need a place that's quiet, that's bright. The research we got back from our own space said people were really seeking out quieter, brighter spaces. So I think that's one thing we'll see. Um, I think we like, will... Like, don't sit next to that guy, right? Or, or yeah, there's a little, yeah, a little part of the app that can work like that. Um, I think we'll see an interesting merge between um, autonomous technology and the share economy. Uh, I envision the ability for things like conference rooms, which take up a lot of space to actually become shared within larger buildings, um, almost like elevators that uh, enable you to sort of select a time and think about shortening your meeting times. If you know the elevator is going to go up, you're going to get off the, uh, the elevator. Um, I think we'll see Elevator more. Elevator conference rooms would be great. Sorry, we're done. <laughs> exactly. I think prototyping, um, it's surprising that we don't do this more often now, um, but actually prototyping the spaces that people are going to work in. Um, we design everything to 100%, right? You finish up your drawings and you ship them off and it gets built. And then five years later, we change that versus designing something to 75% and constantly evolving that last 25%, knowing you're never going to get there. Uh, and then I think the last thing, and, and we were talking about this last night, um, if you think about the exponential arc of, of technology, whether you want to call it Moore's Law or just the, the, the almost vertical of where technology is taking us, and then you think about the almost gentle, constant slope of human evolution, so the past 200,000 years, um, neuroscience is, is something that can help us connect what, what our brains are experiencing, what our brains are feeling with what technology gives us. Uh, and I think we'll see that a lot more relative to how shape is space based on human experience through what we know in science. So meaning? 
Meaning, for example, uh, we're working with John Medina, who's a brain scientist at University of Washington. And uh, John has been a fellow of ours for the last three years, and he has helped us understand everything from cathedral effect, ceiling heights. What's that? What's cathedral effect, effect is essentially um, the amount of research that's been done to show that high ceilings promote greater, greater openness and sense of creativity. Oh, Low ceilings give you focus. So there's some obvious things that come give out. Give you focus? Give you focus. Enable you in a, in a, in a tighter space to actually have that, that kind of focus. Prospect and oh. refuge is another thing that's come out of neuroscience, which is the ability to look out from where you are, to see everything, to be aware of what's going on, and at the same time have the ability to kind of escape to a, a smaller room. Color theory is going to play uh, into this as well. Um, creativity. Uh, there's a there's a there's a, a large study on what's called theory of mind, which is the ability for me to sit with the three of you and understand that you're not thinking exactly the same thing I'm thinking. And actually, when we kind of transcend uh, into that moment where we're all understanding that we're coming from different places, we're much more creative. Um, one of the best examples is some productivity studies that have been given around, um, in particular, creative problem solving, where they've looked at three factors. One is a high level of theory of mind. So it's my ability to understand there are other ideas at the table. Two is a lack of interruption. And three is the presence of women. And so those three things have proven time and time again to help teams solve. Sorry, the first one is high theory empathy of mind. towards other people's empathy thoughts. Empathy other people's thoughts. Non-interruption. Non-interruption, which presence of women. presence of women. So basically, I can't speak for Eve, but I'm up here making this group a little dumber. Right, okay. <laughs> That's a, and those create what? Those three. What those enable teams to do is it, it, it builds a kind of a stronger sense of team, team alignment, and it helps you creatively solve problems faster and better. Wow. That's so how do you use design to, say, I don't know, bring more women to the workforce? Steve, why don't you start? So, so um, you know, Fuse Project is, is um, our creative um, design office, and we have... You know, for us, it's 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 been 50-50 um, as far as women and men in the office. Um, we've all always put all of our work up, so the entire office is always about sharing ideas. And so, seeing everybody's um, work, seeing different departments or different disciplines, um, um, the way they contribute, the differences in their language or approach to a problem, um, and um, you know, it's being able to contribute to that, being able to, um, to learn from what's, what's all around you. Um, to us, that's, that's always been a, a, a really deep principle of how the best creative work happens. It's through the diversity of discipline, through the diversity um, that we have you know, in our teams. They come from all around the world. The fact that we have a balance uh, both in director's uh, job and in um, staff functions of uh, men and women um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of that is for us has been embedded in the creative work that we so do. What about the design itself? What should you have a very open space at Fuse, yeah. yes. which has been the thing, Silicon Valley. That's so, the big thing is, right. is open spaces. So we have so for us, it's about a variety of spaces. So for the last fifteen years, I've designed chairs and desks and office systems for Herman Miller. And what we've learned is uh, a variety of types of spaces. You know. 
the Hewlett-Packard sort of office space that is just a, a, a continuum of, yes. um, of desks or uh, cubicles it used to be, um, you know, where everybody has exactly the same setup. Um, that isn't particularly productive. Your marketing department works differently from your HR, from your um, designers or programmers. Um, the ability to, to have as many touch points as possible where people can meet. So meeting collaboration doesn't just happen in conference rooms over there or in like playrooms, you know, places with foosball and, yeah. and, you know, couches. It doesn't just happen over there. It happens in the flow of work. And so in the flow of work, we have people who can meet at their desks. They can meet 10 feet from their desks. They can meet... Um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a slightly more enclosed space. They can go work in more isolated environments um, that are not as dis, um, um, disruptive. Um, what's important is to allow for this flow to happen naturally without formality, without hierarchy, um, um, you know, and um, I believe also in a way that is ergonomic and well-designed. So that's, that's how we designed our own office. We prototyped it and lived in a prototype for about a year to a year and a half, then that prototype turned out to be really successful at achieving some of the um, you know, metrics and some of the things we wanted to do. Um, and then we built it, and Herman Miller now sells it, and uh, so, a few companies are using it. Talk a little bit, Ryan, about designing for tech companies versus others. Are they more open to, because they have done more. I mean, I remember Google one year had a Quonset HUD. I don't know why, they just decided to have one. And then one year they, they kept doing kooky stuff, like in, all over. They had bicycles, suddenly they landed those, and then they moved here. You know, and whenever you look at the Twitter offices, it feels like a playground up there. Um, and you know, they just try different things, or whimsical, and it's a little bit of forced fun. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when I went to Excite when it was started, this was in the, ni- in the 90s, and they had the slide, do you remember the slide? They had a slide. I mean, there is nothing. There is nothing sadder to me than a bunch of ping pong tables and then football tables and colorful couches. I agree. That you never see anyone using. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, they had me like they're like, go down the slide. I'm like, no. And they're like, all the reporters go down the slide. I, I said, not this one. They do it once. I said, no. And I said, I'm not going down your slide. And they're like, why are you going to the slide? I said, I'm 40 years old. I'm not going down your fucking slide. Like, are you kidding me? I didn't like them when I was eight. Like, it was a really, it was a, it was a fascinating, but it was sort of forced fun. Like, right. that's sort of been the tech thing. Can you talk a little bit about when you design? Did they say we need real fun here? Or what, what's the... You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a truly a fun process, I will say that. <laughs> and what I would say over time is that that process has grown from trial and error, um, a little bit of branding of space uh, about the culture that you're trying. We talked, people were talking about culture earlier today, about trying to bring forth that culture. Um, we have a, stay, a saying that talks about how structure drives behavior, and I think these companies are really interesting in doing quite the opposite, allowing behavior to drive structure. What we've seen recently is uh, a true sophistication of those amenities. So the things like the ping pong tables, which um, are never played at, and they're loud, and they're noisy, and they're distracting, um, was really geared towards team building at a low cost mm-hmm. that encouraged people to, to kind of come together. And when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so I think a company like Google is really smart about saying, okay, that's not working, what, what is next? Um, two things in particular that we've seen recently. One is, um, again, that trust building that can happen around something that isn't project or work related. 
uh, companies are building cars in their lobbies, right? Uh, and the idea there is that, hey, we're going to hang out and build a car, and then when we're put on a team together, we'll have learned how to start to complete each other's sentences, and suddenly that workflow we have is more commonplace, more understandable. I think that's, uh, that's definitely an important aspect. I also hear um, a focus, a shift back on the desk. People are under back to the desk. Back to the desk. So the amenity for so long, the focus was on the amenity. The amenity became the culture, and productivity um, suffered for that, or at least the ability to focus suffered for that. And the the place where you spend sixty five percent of your time was sort of left behind. And I think it's fascinating when you walk through one of these offices and you see how engineers take over the space, right? And they put the tent up or they do whatever. And part of it's whimsical and part of it's just necessary. It's, it's, it's what, you're, what you need to be able to do to focus. And so now we're seeing this shift back to where um, idea generation really occurs. I think there was a little bit of a misnomer that an open office meant a collaborative office and a collaborative office meant more ideas. Um, versus a collaborative office allowing more transparency and awareness of the ideas that were happening. And so the shift to the desk, I think, is more of a statement around, we know ideas happen in a number of different locations. Rarely do they happen in a fishbowl. Um, usually they're at a coffee shop or they're at your desk or on a run or wherever it might be, and uh, that's starting to take hold. How are you learning things like the, the focus is back on the desk? Are the companies telling you this, or do you go in and study this? It's, it's definitely through observation. Um, and so with the companies we get to work with or even where we'll ask and say, hey, would you mind if we just come, came and hung out for a couple days, observation, and then interviews uh, as well. So it's, it's sort of an older approach relative to it, but it's pretty personal and you can actually understand exactly what's happening. I think that coupled with some of the, the brain science I was sharing before starts to make sense and sink in and you understand um, kind of where we are. I, I liken, you brought up the Amazon spheres before, um, and the idea of working amongst trees. And this is a stat that stuck with me. So for 99.987% of our lives as humans, we've been outside. Mm-hmm. And yet we cram people into buildings over the past two centuries and we wonder why people are unhappy with their work environments. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect example of why and where you can find the intersection of kind of how people want to work and how they're geared to work. So the- you went, sorry, you went to Amazon with that stat and you said, let me do this for you. That, no, that actually came from our work with John Medina. So Amazon was, was setting, sta- setting sail and this whole um, biophilia is the term that talks about our innate connection to nature has been out there for about 40 years. It was done, developed by uh, uh, an individual named E.O. Wilson. And it just never took root until recently when we, I feel, shifted our focus to health and wellness within our work environments, right, where so we spend most of our How did you bring that up to Amazon? You say, I've got an idea via Sphere. Like, did, is that how you brought it up to them, or? It was, uh, it was a charrette process, right, where um, Amazon talked about, uh, talked about being in an urban environment and, and the need for something, uh, something kind of new and different, and the team um, developed a bunch of different. But you didn't come up with trampoline park mm-hmm. or something like that, like, or? We, we might have. We might have. Right. They, um, were they interested in, in sort of contributing culturally also to, the, uh, to that urban environment in a way that is different? I, mean, I could imagine, I'm just, um, I could imagine in a way that is different than putting a tower um, in the middle of downtown. Yeah, yeah, and there's, I, I'm a little limited here, but what I would say is that even the spheres are open on the ground floor, right? So this idea of being able to walk into this environment that is, is going to have an educational aspect to it, it's going to be open to all, 
Um, there is workplace. Uh, workplace, let me redefine that. There actually are no offices or desks upstairs, but there are places to work upstairs. Up dedicated. in the biosphere. Yeah. I thought there was a humidity issue, though. No, here's what's interesting was both lighting and humidity usually factor into how plants would thrive. And yeah. so there's been exhaustive studies relative to humidity. So they essentially exhaust the spheres um, during night and bring in the cool, area, cool air. All these plants are um, uh, montane plants. And so it's kind of uh, close to the area and close to the, the, the cool uh, temperature that would come in. And then lighting um, shifts as well. So lighting that's conducive to humans is during the day and it shifts into lighting that's conducive to plants at night. It won't be a humid horrible shell where people are sweating and typing right. at the same time. Right. Um, you've designed a lot of things, not just the soda stream and others, trying to make technology, uh, Ducero, all these different things, seem nice, you know, more, seem more amenable more human. to yes. human. Can you, do you imagine that the workplace can ever be that, to ever be like a very, you know, if you don't make it into a playground, where do you see the future of the workplace being, if we even have workplaces at to, all? You know, to, well, I mean, the, the scenario of not having workplaces was, you know, discussed a lot, I think, in the, in the last um, dot-com bubble, right? And, and what, what turns out is actually having a place is really important to people. Um, being able to organize your thoughts, um, being able to, sh to be with others and share with others is actually really important versus being isolated in, at home in a room and, and typing by yourself. Um, so we're actually coming back to a place where office or workplace means um, uh, other things, not just work and productivity, but it also means community. It also means uh, um, uh, sort of a common uh, common direction, common goal, something that, that you're truly contributing uh, to. I mean, I think people are less interested in joining companies today. They're more interested in joining projects, right? It's, it's, it's less about I'm working at Amazon or I'm working at Twitter versus I'm doing this really interesting project. There's this new initiative. There's this new thing that I can contribute to that I believe in. Um, so when you I think it's become really important for, for, for people in general that they join a culture that they relate to, that they um, join projects that they believe in, um, and that they feel that you know, this isn't just um, work, it's also something that is you know, fulfilling. So the environment, I think, has a lot of impact in that, you know, in stimulating um, um, communication, and in, in, in giving a sense of horizontality, Right? The hierarchical offices tend to be depressive, de de you know, depressive because you look up at you know, that other floor where all the execs are and you hope that one day that's where you're going to go. Um, I've personally never had my own private office. I've always sat um, you know, at the same desk as everybody else in my office, not because um, you know, I, 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 um, I want to appear you know, one way or the other, but because that's where the interesting work is happening. I have no interest in isolating me, isolating myself from um, the project-based. This is a tech the, thing. They ha that has been the, something. The, the you know, relational-based uh, work. So I think that people are looking for other things. And I think work environments are, are you know, more and more becoming uh, places of human exchange um, rather than a purely uh, monetary exchange uh, work for you know, All right. For, All right. If we have any questions from the audience, let us know. Um, I'm going to finish up with a couple more, if there's any at all. I just wanted to add, I, I think it's GitHub uh, that, that exemplifies this. So GitHub, which was focused on remote working, actually mm -hmm. created a center. It's GitHub. GitHub. 
um, that was purely for socialization. It was to sort of satisfy the need we had to connect as social animals. And mm -hmm. so when you come to this place, it's really about camaraderie and meaning and well, purpose. Well, it's a bar. GitHub's headquarters is a bar. That's, is a bar. that's right. from what I can tell. Um, what, just finishing up, what are the things you would like to see as designers go away? You know, and you guys both do a lot of tech companies, which have been trying really hard to be different. They definitely have. You know, they've worked, sometimes worked everyone's last nerve doing it, but what, what do you, would you like to see go away and what would you like to see happen in workplaces, each of you? Why don't you start? Personally, I would like to see the conference room go away. Like every time I have a visitor, you know, somebody books a conference room for me and I'm like, let's not go in there. There's nothing attractive about an air-conditioned conference room to have a conversation with someone alone in some white wall room. Um, I would much, much rather walk around with them in the office or just sit, sit down at uh, a social area in the office and have that conversation. Um, to me, the, 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 the notion that I have to disconnect my computer and formalize my presentation and you know, bring everyone to a room and you know, sort of you know, have a, the beginning of the meeting, the middle of the meeting, the end of the meeting, Put up, put up my slides up there, seems like a giant sinkhole of time. Mm -hmm. um, and so many companies are still operating on, you know, eight hours, seven hours out of eight, you know, you are booked up in meetings, and those meetings are in meeting rooms. Um, and I think, I think that is not, I don't see a lot of productivity come out of that. Um, it's a very sort of old-fashioned, hierarchical somewhat, you know, uh, work process. Um, I would like to see those go, go, go away, most, like it. mostly. But, and we'll get to you in just one second. I'd like to see a, a more holistic thinking around um, the design of a full environment, both the interiors and the exterior. And so oftentimes when we're working with a company that's going in and they're gutting a building and they're renovating it and doing what we call a tenant improvement, um, the focus is on the tenant improvement. And that's fairly limiting. And I would love to see sort of connections that extend just beyond the building walls. Um, outside. Outside, it could be at the ground floor. It could be rethinking the core. I think a core of a building is actually the most detrimental um, aspect of a structure to how we work. Meaning, can you explain for the non- So the core, the core would be where the elevators are, the mechanical, the big, big walls that when you're in your workplace that keep you from walking and seeing across to other people that you're, you happen to be working with. Um, and we've spent some time, actually, the Samsung building I was talking about was dedicated to, to understanding how to visually connect people both horizontally and vertically. They can see each so other. They can see each other. They can move. Um, there are a couple stats that we, we like to reference. One is the fact that at 100 feet away, you might as well be in a different building. Um, 100 feet is about the, the furthest distance where you can read someone's gestures on their face and understand who they are. Um, and that also happens to be the distance where um, the generative relationship, meaning a relationship that generates new collisions, new uh, uh, exchanges, falls away as well. So Samsung was geared towards generating new types of relationships. I can see you. I'm going to invite you to my next meeting versus conserving existing relationships, which is where you would put teams together and sort of silo them off. Which has always been the way. Which has always been the way. Two quick questions. Uh, you're both multicultural in your background. When you design for multinational companies, what effect do you have different cultures have, with, whether Google office in Singapore or somewhere else should be different to Silicon Valley? Second question, how would you redesign conferences? Conferences. <laughs> 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 Um, 
I don't know. Uh, I'm so, just asking what you think about our conference. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I noticed about your conference is how um, those red chairs have become uh, a very, very strong branding uh, yes. element. It, was, it, was it your thinking from the very yes. start? Yes. So now every time I see <laughs> anyone in a red chair, I think, you know, yes. recode. Absolutely. Um, so, so, and uh, also every single major tech figure in history is sitting in one. That's the right, other. exactly. Right, so a hundred um, years from now, like they'll be like, why are all these people in the red fucking in the red chair? Right. <laughs> and they'll Google and like, who is this Kara Swisher who's so rude on Twitter? I think I, th I think that's brilliant branding, and I Thank do you. think I do think I do think conferences struggle. Steel case. They've been great partners. <laughs> I do think that conferences struggle at. Um, uh, s separating each other, uh, uh, you know, differentiating each other, um, and um, you know, just having, you know, the the luminaries or the you know the the, the leaders of industry, um, you know, on stage doesn't make for sort of a tight sort of subject uh, subject matter. So um, I would say, I, you know, there's there's many there's probably a lot of different uh, uh, concepts that could be could, that could be developed. I haven't um, been invited to work on one yet, so. Well, we'll see. You're too expensive. Go ahead. I I would have walking interviews. I would get people out of the room and expose them to different senses. Uh, get oh. them out in the city. Walking around. Walking around. What are they here? It's like a tour. It's like, like a, a tour, tour, right? Yeah. With, uh, I don't know how it works, right? But, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I there, like that. there's something, so obviously getting blood flow to your brain is a good thing. Um, exercise, we're hearing about more and more. Uh, getting to experience a city through the eyes of someone else is kind of fascinating yeah, as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Like you could have a self-Johanna, a self-driving self car yeah. and then drive everyone around and talk at the same time. It's a mobile conference room. Mobile conference, right. Uh, it's an interesting idea. It's because one of the things that um, Mark Zuckerberg always does is he won't see you in his office. He makes you walk around right. with him and typically right. he's barefoot, which is weird. Um, and uh, so it's, but I liked it. I actually liked it because we had a better conversation when we were right. physically moving right. um, in a park in Palo Alto, which was interesting. You know, that's a great idea, actually. There are a lot of studies about how the brain actually is activated by, by movement, by exercise, yeah. by walking, and how some of the greatest writers and, yeah. um, um, you know, of the, of the 18th, 19th century always talked about how. That's a great idea. I'll see if I could get him to walk with me and then. A thousand people follow us. That'll be great. But yeah, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, every time I go to a new fancy multi-million-dollar office for a tech company where hundreds or thousands of people are sitting in front of computers all day rewriting software that changes entire industries or does you know crazy tech stuff, they all seem to now have a room that looks like Harry Potter's library. What what's up with that? All these old books and leather Groupon chairs. Had one. Why do they want that? Groupon had Make them feel real? I think I think there's there there's been a trend about um about about bringing the domestic environment, bringing the home into the office. And um it's probably one of these trends that's going to go away, you know, to be honest. Uh, why is that? Because it it you know, it's completely not it's a look, it's a decor. But it is absolutely not adapted to work. The, you know, I'm, our homes are; their functionality is different. The ergonomics are different. When you, you know, a chair that you're using for dinner is a different chair that you're using for working. Um, and and just just uh, sort of taking 
a look, a library or you know something that comes out of a movie or out of your home, and plopping it into a space just to make it look more cozy, um, you know, isn't isn't um, you know an approach that is specific to the task that needs to happen in this particular spot. Yeah. So I think we will see more original designs that are really uh, aimed at. Uh, solving a problem, solving a type of interaction that you are hopefully encouraging through, you know, through the furniture and materials. Yeah, Groupon had one, that weird room of George's room or whatever. It's like mm -hmm. a bed. They always would take reporters there. Reporters would like type it right up. And, and they took me there and they're like, this is George's room. I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> and they're like, but it's George's room. And I go, and it's stupider still because you're like, it's ridiculous. Like, there's like an, there was an unmade bed and some laundry. And I was like, this makes no <laughs> fucking sense, except I think you're stupid. And it was a really interesting, but it was, it was part of their little quirky. I think it was, we're so quirky, like being quirky kind of thing. Um, but the same, the same thing would be true of, say, um, any of the kind of things they try to do to, you know, the, the pets, the, the, that kind of stuff. It, it seems to me that it all goes down into being 12 years old, a lot of it. Um, do you, when you say return to the desk, do you mean return to a more adult workforce or? No, I, I, I like the pets. Good clar I like the clarification. Pets. Return to the desk is really just return to the, the moment where you have to yourself, where you have place to think. Um, and that desk could be anything uh, in a certain regards. Um, so that's, that's actually what I was getting at. I see. Um, with, the, with the sensors that you're talking about, there's, that's telling people that people aren't using conference rooms, they like brighter, mm -hmm. quieter areas. I mean, isn't there a risk that a company could abuse that control and abuse that information to control their workers? Corral them into the space that they want them to be in? Of course, there's a risk. The way we look at it is um, it's a live feedback mechanism, and it actually, you know, in our New York office, for example, it is a way we understand where space is used and where space isn't used and what is most appealing to people, and we know that's going to change. We know that based on the tasks that you're doing, that could change as well. So um, I, always, I always think it's interesting where, and I, I, I shared the edge building in mm -hmm. Amsterdam, and some of the feedback it's getting is, is concern around uh, privacy, right? Mm -hmm. And I always think it's fascinating, these, these sort of analytics that we could use to improve the environments we work in, people are really reticent to share around because they're worried about Big Brother watching them. And yet the amount of information we put out on the internet oh, yeah. that we're willing to share, you know, just to watch a cat video yeah. is uh, pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's got to be, you know, there's some moment where that reckoning, that realization for the benefit of us all will, will take over. And, and last question, what office that you guys didn't design did you see that you thought was fantastic? Just what, which one did you see, each of you? Why don't you start, Eve? Um, I mean, there's there's smaller quirky spaces that that I go into where I'm like, you know, the long now, the long now foundation or. Um, what is it about them that you like? I mean, they are they are the reflection of the way somebody thought at a certain point in time, and they are um, almost like an artistic expression of who is there. So, you know, I, I, when I visit craftsmen or when I visit artists, I like the fact that it it feels uniquely them. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's just, you know, you, you, you get to understand, you get to develop curiosity about who this person is or who this group is and what they're thinking. I think, um, I think work used to be, you know, it, it was more formal, things had to look a certain way, the lobby had to be impressive in a certain way. What I look forward to is people, you know, not doing silly things like having somebody's unmade bed Scooters. right there, um, but, but rather things that are, you know, truly, um, 
honest about, you know, and expressive of who they are and what makes them different. Um, and so, you know, the, this reliance on a corporate look or, um, uh, um, you know, uh, hierarchical uh, or trying to impress, you know, people, I think, I think is going to go away. I think we'll see more, um, more unique, maybe more humble spaces, um, you know, simpler expressions of, of, of... It's interesting. I'm not so sure about that. Like, Uber's headquarters literally looks like a James Bond villain lair. It's, and it's perfect, and it reflects them, I think, perfectly. It's like Darth Vader. It's like Darth, Darth Vader. Vader's and lair. one of their, their main rooms is called the War Room, and you're like, perfect. This is the perfect for this group of people. But, and yours? I am going to describe an experience versus an office, if that's okay. I, I and from Seattle, I couldn't help but go there. I love the Seattle Public Library. Um, it's got daylight, it's got places to hide as well. It, it, the ground floor is open to everyone, so you get all walks of life that come into there. It's loud, it's quiet, um, it's, it is in the heart of the city, and uh, it serves so many different people, and to be able to work in an environment like that is, is pretty thrilling. Great, well on that note, thank you two very much, and thank, thank you, you everybody for sticking around. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. And be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, in which Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Friday, I host Two Embarrassed Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. You can find all these shows and more at Recode.net or wherever you listen to your podcasts.